Hello there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah with the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio. This is the third episode about Kevin, who's a German Shepherd that I worked with, and we've already had two episodes about Kevin, so if you haven't checked those out, I would go check those out now. And today we're actually going to call Kevin's owner Patty. So let's get Patty on the phone. Patty? Yeah. Hey, Patty, it's Sarah. Hello. Patty, thanks for being on the podcast today. Um, we're just going to talk a little bit about Kevin. So if you're ready, I will start asking you a few questions. I am ready. Go ahead. Okay. So talk to us first, Patty, a little bit about just what Kevin used to be like, um, how old how old he, he is now, and what he used to be like when he was younger. So Kevin just turned five. And when I got Kevin, um, I hadn't trained a dog in obedience in a number of years. I had had a lot of things going on in my life. And the closest relationship that I had had with a dog prior to Kevin was a basset hound that I had had named Daffodil, and um, I had trained her in competitive obedience, and through that training, we had done a lot of work together, and Daffodil and I had a really close relationship because we trained every day, and we had done a lot together, and I took her to shows, and we had just been very successful at that, and I had a very strong relationship with her because of that, and I had had other dogs in my life after Daffodil and before Kevin, but through circumstances that happened in my life, I really wanted the opportunity to have a really close connection, again, a one-on-one bond with a dog, and so when I got Kevin, I decided I wanted to do that, and I thought that the way to do that was through training and training towards competitive obedience. So when I first got Kevin, I started training him from the very beginning in the way that I had trained Daffodil and what I had known. And Daffodil had a personality where she was bold and she was spunky and she was fiery and she just had this very outgoing personality. And she responded well to the type of training that I did with her. But Kevin didn't have that kind of personality. And I remembered thinking, man, I trained a basset hound to do this stuff. And that's supposed to be a, a really hard breed to train in German Shepherd. And he's supposed to be really smart. And he, although he's smart, he's just this wilting flower that just, <laughs> he's like a flower that you just don't water. And he just, if I would give him a correction, he would just, Ugh. and I just knew that it, wasn't working. I mean, he was smart and he could learn the things that I was asking him to do, but we just didn't have a good relationship and he wasn't responding to the training and he hated it and it was just not what I was trying to accomplish at all. And so I had said to a friend of mine that this is just not going well. And she suggested that I take class with you and that was the first class that or the class that you alluded to in the first podcast that you had with Kevin 
And that was where I walked in and I gave him a command to down and he did. And I gave him a command to stay <laughs> and he did. And you said, how old is he? And I said, he's six months old. And he said, okay. And you said, how do you play with him? And I said, I remember thinking even at the time, well, I, I, I train him and we work together and I teach him things and I brush him and I feed him and he sleeps with me, you know, beside my bed. And we, we spend all day, he goes to work with me. We do everything together but we don't really play. And, <laughs> right. and so it, that was a really strange question, I thought, at the time. And and I really didn't have a good answer for you because I, I didn't play with Kevin. And that's how he started. And so initially you wanted to make a change because your competitive obedience training was not going well. But right. we... What we did developed into so much more than that. And so when was it more clear to you that Kevin wasn't just not responding to the type of training that you knew about, but he was also struggling to live in the world? Yeah, he just got worse and worse and worse. He really got to the point where every single day was just getting hard for him. You know, I I would take him everywhere because... I wanted him to be socialized and I wanted to do all the things that I've been telling people to do with their young dogs forever. And yet the more places I would take him, the more anxious he would become, the more nervous he was around people, the more nervous he was around noise and life. And Kevin just really got to the point where he was just truly not a happy creature. And I was just, I watched this dog just becoming more and more unhappy really and so then we started to make we started to make a lot of changes about yeah. um about that's an understatement yeah. <laughs> we made a lot of changes and so what i'm curious about is um what were talk about some of those changes and talk about what were some of the really tough things for you to accept or for you to understand or for you to just actively change well the first thing that i remember is that basically i was trying to I I really like to understand the science and the how and the why of how things work. And so a lot of my training with Kevin and with you had absolutely nothing to do with Kevin. We would sit down on the rocking chairs and you would just talk to me and I would just ask you questions and you would just answer them. And so it was a very odd looking dog training session. (laughs) True, true. We would sit there and I would ask you questions and you would answer. And that's one of the things that was so wonderful about you is that you could give me the science behind why it would work, but then you could also make it very understandable for me in very life, you know, like you would give me very simple life terms and and make it not only the science of why, but then give me the the day-to-day how this looks and how this works. And as far as what was hard, there's so many things about this that were hard that I don't even know that I can narrow that down. But... I remember some very pivotal moments, and I remember one of them was you basically telling me I could not give any form of correction to Kevin, which early on 
I learned I couldn't give any physical, like a leash correction or anything to Kevin, and you took all those away. And then it got to the point where you're like, no, you don't understand. You can't uh uh-uh this dog anymore. Like, I wasn't even allowed to say, (laughs) "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. Like, Like, there was no correction allowed at all, period. And so I work in a very black and white world, and shades of gray are difficult for me. Yep. So I didn't really know what to do exactly with that. So I remember, like, you gave the example of Kevin putting his feet on my kitchen counter. In a black and white person's world, dogs don't put their feet on your kitchen counter. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. And so I remember he put his, I was preparing his food is what I was doing. I was preparing his food, and he put his feet on my counter. And so I had to physically stop myself from saying, uh-uh, get down. Because you had said no, and I followed directions really well. So I was like, okay, Sarah said nothing. I am allowed to say nothing. And I remember that day because I stopped preparing his food. I just stopped doing what I was doing. I said nothing, and I just looked at him. And I just stood there. And I just waited, basically. And Kevin is very smart. And so Kevin saw that I stopped I was preparing his food. That's what he was excited about. And I stopped doing that. And so Kevin looked at the food and he looked at me and he looked back at the food and he looked at me again. And I was just standing there and he took his feet off the counter and he sat down and I fed him. It was a pivotal moment because Kevin has never put his feet on my counter again. That was a very clear understanding for him. But it was also a very clear understanding for me because one of the things that you had told me is instead of using any form of a correction, even if it's something like saying, "Uh -uh," I want you to look at that opportunity and switch your thinking. Find something that you can do to reinforce this dog that is not consistent with the behavior that you don't want to have happen. And that's like one of those commercials that you see on television where the people's heads pop off and, you know, the smoke comes out of their head. Because I remember thinking, what do you mean I can't correct and I have to change every single opportunity that I would want to correct into something that I can reinforce that isn't consistent with the behavior that I don't want to have happen? And I remember, again, that's a big... That's a big pivotal moment. So I remember those feet on the counter being one of those really big, I did what you told me to do. I didn't correct him, and I looked for the opportunity to reinforce something that wasn't consistent with what I didn't want to have happen. And so that was one of those really big moments for me. And then there was another really big moment because I was trained all of those years ago that you couldn't be a cookie trainer. Cookie trainers were bad. Cookie <laughs> trainers were were people that didn't know how to train a dog. Like, you weren't a good trainer if you had to use food. And so it was really hard for me to wrap my head around, I'm going to be a cookie trainer. Like, I, you know, I had to let go of the old, and I had to jump into the deep end of the pool with you and just say, okay, I'm going to use food because because you told me to. <laughs> so I'm going to. And so I just let go of, of that, and I said, okay. So every time I would go out to train, again, I'm very trainable. So you told me, if you go out to do a training session, you have food at all times. And I was very good and very prepared, and I always had food if I was going to be training. And so then 
there was one day, because again, we were, you were helping me train for competitive obedience, so I was teaching Kevin how to do all these components, and we were putting things together, and there was a day that I was out, because we live on a farm, and I was out in the horse pasture with Kevin, and I don't know why, it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing, he was just up, and he was paying attention to me, and it was excellent, it was just a great opportunity to practice some of these healing things that we had been working on. And I asked Kevin to do a front and to finish around and to start with me, and we were doing some healing, and I'm telling you, it was absolute perfection. It was absolutely everything I had been asking of this dog all rolled into one. He was paying attention to me, and he was up, and he was happy, and he was fiery, and he was, it was the best healing I had ever seen in my entire life, and then a moment of panic hit. I had no food You had on no me. food. <laughs> no food. You had told me I had to have food, and I had no food. I had nothing to reinforce, and this was the very best I had ever seen. And I had to reinforce, and I had nothing. And I was in a horse pasture, and I, yes, I did. I reached down, and I grabbed a horse turd, and I threw that thing in the air to reinforce Kevin, and I saw this moment where Kevin looked at me and said, she finally understands me. She understands the value of this horse manure, and life is wonderful. And I remember coming back in from that training session and sitting down and writing you an email. I remember that email. Something has changed in my training because I learned how to turn nothing into the most glorious reinforcement because the reinforcement value is determined by the creature being reinforced. Yes. And it was another one of those, like, if you ask me these pivotal moments, like when, you know, what were the hardest things to let go of and what made these shifts happen for me? And the feet on the counter and using a horse turd as a reinforcer, you know, I think that those were some of the, the really, truly big moments. They were big moments. And so, like we said, you and I started out talking about competitive obedience. Um, and Kevin has some really nice competitive obedience behaviors trained and he yep. has some really yeah. nice, he has some really nice agility stuff and he has some agility titles. Um, and, but that was like the very beginning of what we were doing. And yeah. it so quickly turned into getting to the bottom of Kevin's kind of generalized anxiety his specific fears of strangers and noises. And we really got into the nitty gritty of that stuff um, for I think the majority of our time really working together. So talk a little bit about what that road looked like for you because once again, the type of training that you had learned all those years ago wouldn't have even acknowledged that the dog was anxious or afraid. Um, that was not a thing, yeah. right? And so right. recognizing that he was anxious or afraid and learning how to deal with that in new ways um, was another big, big part of our working together. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there was um, – you brought me to a presentation that Kathy Sodeo did. Yes. And she talked about um, – gorilla you know (laughs) yes you guys i will put yes i will put a youtube link 
um, in the on the SoundCloud page for the podcast for the gorilla video that Patty and I watched yeah. at Kathy Sadeo's seminar. And that was pivotal for me also because I hadn't seen everything. And all of a sudden, once you start to see, you can't stop. No, once you see the gorilla, you can't unsee the gorilla. (laughs) And not only can you not unsee the gorilla, but you see chimpanzees that were hanging out on the the surrounding trees. And then you start to see squirrels and you start to see, I mean, it's amazing that that one gorilla is not all that you see. You see everything. That yeah. it's it it's amazing the things that I didn't see before. And it's and again, you're talking a person. I have wanted to be a veterinarian since I was six years old. I have been around veterinary medicine and around dogs in particular, and worked specifically in this field since I was fifteen. So it's not like I don't have experience around dogs. It, it, but I started to see a world that I truly didn't even, I didn't even know what I was missing. And that's when I started to see what Kevin really looked like. I mean, I could see some things before, but I had no idea. And all of a sudden, it opened up this picture to me of what truly was in front of me. And that became, that was really, really hard. And is still, to this day, very hard. Kevin is five years old. And Kevin is silly, and he plays, and he's funny, and he's fun, and he's he tosses things in the air, and he wiggles, and he does all these things. Kevin didn't play and do any of that when he was a puppy. Right. I I took away his puppyhood, not meaning to, but he is much more puppy-like now at five than he ever was as a young dog. And that's because... As we worked together and as I saw how clear these things were, I quickly realized that was what my focus had to be on and that's what I had to try to repair and try to fix and try to help. And Kevin and I had to start working on a level of trust, a level of, and I have to back it up even further, part of what happened in the human, when you give a command and a creature follows your command and does what you tell them to do, it's reinforcing to the human that gave the command. Yes. And I had to let go of some of that. And I had to give Kevin choices. And sometimes Kevin was going to make choices that I wasn't crazy about. And so there were times that some of those choices were downright embarrassing. And I had to let go of that part of me. And I had to realize that I was working on something bigger. And so... I had to build a level of trust with Kevin so that now if I ask something of Kevin, there is probably a 99% chance that he's going to do whatever I ask of him. But when I first started this training with Kevin, well, there probably wasn't even a 20% chance that he was going to get what I asked for. And it's because we hadn't worked this out together. Kevin trusts me now. Kevin trusts that I'm not going to put him in a position that he can't handle or is more than he can do. I've proven myself trustworthy in his eyes. And the same is true. If Kevin tells me that he can't do something, well, I listen. Because Kevin has taught me that he will be happy to honor my requests if he can. And if he can't, there's a bigger reason. 
you know, like those kids in the tree that you talked right. about in right. that podcast. He was telling me, I hadn't seen the kids in the tree. He was telling me there is a problem. There is something that needs to be addressed. And as soon as I addressed it, he was like, okay, we're good now. You've seen my issue. And I explained it. Yeah, I, I see your issue. I see the problem. And here's how we're going to handle this. And so Kevin and I talk now. We communicate. We communicate about fun things and silly things and happy things and playful things. But we also learn to communicate about scary stuff. And we learn to talk about how to make each other better. There are times where Kevin really has to do what I asked of him because of whatever situation that we're in. That doesn't happen often. But if he actually has to, he trusts me enough that he will be like, okay, you can have this one. You know that I'm not all right, but I'm going to give this to you. And the same exists with me too. You know, there are times where Kevin says, I can't do it. And I say, I I understand, and we are not going to do this today. And that's part of the reason that Kevin and I don't compete in in competitive obedience. Kevin has great skills, like you said. He really does. We could go in competitive obedience and, quite frankly, I think do pretty well. But you know what? That would be asking of him too many times to enter that zone of asking for something more than what he really wants to be able to give because it's not his personality. And so that became unimportant to me a long time ago and isn't, you know, would I ever want to do competitive obedience again? I might, but not with Kevin because our relationship is, is well beyond. I don't care about that sort of stuff anymore for, for the two of us. That's not where the beauty of our relationship is, you know, and, just this morning, I, Kevin comes to work with me, so he was sitting under the desk, and I was at the desk, and I was flipping through some papers, and I was doing some things, and I was writing in some files, and I dropped my pen. I didn't ask Kevin to pick up my pen. Kevin was under the table. Kevin saw me drop my pen. He got up. He picked up my pen. He handed me my pen. And then later in the morning, I had put some biscuits in a puzzle toy, and he was playing with his puzzle toy, and he was working on that, and he was you know, doing all that while, again, I was doing what I was doing at work. And there was one particular thing that got stuck in this puzzle toy in a very strange position, and he had worked on it. And he had he had rolled it around, and he had fought with it a little bit, and he had done some more things with it, and he had, he, had, he was consistent. That's what a puzzle toy is for, and it had clearly done its job, but this <laughs> one particular thing was stuck in this weird position. And so finally, Kevin picks up the whole puzzle toy and actually brought it to me. <laughs> and and I picked the little piece of kibble out of it and I handed it to him <laughs> because I'm like it's just a we talk now we communicate we have a relationship that goes so much deeper than what I ever even knew was possible and so you really just segued into my next question for you which was to talk a little bit about how your goals um, and aspirations had shifted with Kevin since starting. And I want to just put in, just for everybody listening, that um, not every dog that I work with winds up not having a, a career in dog sports. Um, <laughs> really, really, a lot of what I do is helping dogs to have a more successful career in dog sports. Of course. But I'm and always really... Yeah, and I'm always really proud of people, though, when they 
choose to opt out if that seems like that really is what's best. Um, and I think you op- you've opted out of competing not just because it's what's probably what Kevin would choose, but because you genuinely don't need it. You had wanted it right. to get back to that relationship you had with Daffodil, and right. you don't need it because you have what you had with Daffodil, you know, times a million now. Yeah, and and I didn't realize that there was a way to get there, other than, you know, competitive obedience. And like I said, I it's not that it's not that I don't like that and don't love that, and and it's not even that I don't feel like Kevin and I could compete and do well. We did compete in agility, and you know, and we did do well. You know, we you know, it's like yeah, and we can do well, and and certainly we could go on. And my goals really did change for him, but different you know and would you're right it changed what was important to me sure and I didn't even know that the relationship was out there I didn't even know that it was possible I mean the when you were first trying to teach me how to play I remember me the mechanics of the dog loft you were trying to teach me and I remember my mom walked in the room and she said, what are you doing? So I was awkward and I couldn't, nothing was right and I don't play well. And you were teaching me how to play and my mom said, good luck with that. You know, she didn't play when she was a kid. You know, she, <laughs> I remember that moment. <laughs> you remember that? You know, yes. like, she's very black and white. She never even played as a child. You know, good luck, have fun with that. So I had so much to learn in so many ways. But see, now Kevin also, I teach Kevin games, but Kevin teaches me games. And I didn't even know that a dog could do that. Right. You know, I, I didn't even know that any of that was was possible. And so this has opened up all of that, you know, to me. And it's also made me understand that you do need to work with the dog that's in front of you. You can't... You know, I sure, I, I had goals and I had aspirations and I had things that I wanted. And I remember even t- asking you one time and saying, when is he going to not be so jumpy? <laughs> and and I remember you saying, okay, well, you know, if you're walking down a dark alley, somebody walks up behind you and startles you, are you kind of jumpy? And I was like, yes, I would probably jump four feet in the air and scream. And I remember you saying, and can I, like, train you out of that? Can I talk you out of that? Can I, and I said, no, that's just who I am. And I remember thinking, oh, it's one of those moments and she's <laughs> teaching me that. <laughs> because that's who Kevin is. And I can't change that. Would I like it if Kevin, because he, it's not that I've made the entire world or you've been able to make the entire world not scary for Kevin. Right. That's not it. The world that was never the goal. Kevin. Right. But I've been able to give Kevin tools that he can self-soothe but I've also been given tools that I know how to help him. And that's what my goal started to become, is how can I make this dog's life better? How can I make it so that we can have a higher level of communication so that the things that are just inevitably going to come up and going to be scary, he is okay. Because his anxiety really, now that... Once I saw the gorilla and saw quite just how bad it was, 
Yeah. It's it's painful to me the yeah. the world that he lives in sometimes. And so now to be able to see that same dog as a dog that is truly I mean, he functions at a very, very high level, higher than most dogs are ever asked to function at. And he is happy. Like I said, he's silly and he's playful and he's funny and he's all of those things. And that became my goal. And in many ways, you know, we'll never reach that completely because I don't think that you ever do completely. But... Every time I see strides, every time I see something that Kevin can handle that I know, oh, there is no way that he could have done that before. Every time he, like, reaches one of those little milestones, that, to me, is the, the greatest, you know, the greatest reinforcement to me that what I'm doing has really, truly been a bigger picture a bigger a bigger thing definitely um patty the last thing that i want you to talk about um because you're a veterinarian and because the diet change was such a big deal for you with kevin i want you to talk about two things i want you to talk about what changing his diet meant to this process i want you to and i want you to talk about um, a little bit about the link between the GI tract and anxiety. And so those are two different things, but <laughs> I right. want you to make sure right. that you hit both of those because I have you captive as a veterinarian on my show. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this was a rough ride for the two of us. And I have to say, I have to say. This may have been the hardest way. thing for you to actually change. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was trained that, that's wrong. And and that just to see, clarify for everybody, Kevin was switched to a raw diet. I talked about this a little bit before in another podcast, yeah. but that's what was so hard for Patty. And yeah. that's what she was trained was wrong. Yes, I was trained that feeding raw is wrong. Uh, the Veterinary Medical Association will still stand by their position statement that that is not recommended. And it stems from the zoonotic or health aspect of zoonosis is anything that is transmitted from animals to people from a health standpoint. And so feeding raw food and having owners handle raw food and be around raw food and things like that is, you know, something that um, we as veterinarians and in the veterinary community are trained first to be most responsive to public health. And so, um, I was trained that, that, that I should not recommend it, that I shouldn't support it, that I should talk people up. So when Sarah mentioned it to me, we had that, I think that that was my response to you, actually, at the time. The very, the very first time, um, yeah. Yeah. we were actually very, it was very new in our kind of working together. I actually yeah. think we were on our way to Kathy Sedeo. And you said that your your opinion about the raw diet you knew was not going to be popular in that car, and that, <laughs> and, that yeah. and that no, yeah, it's not something you would try, and no, it's not something you would ever recommend. And I totally did drop it. And you did drop it. And honestly, you've dropped many things in our time together because you would plant the seed. You're brilliant at this. You would plant the seed 
then you will drop it and you will let that time go that has to go and then when it's time to resurface it, it does and that's we had done a lot of work with Kevin's anxiety and I really and you know that I had tried hard and had worked hard and had done what you had told me and had jumped into the deep end of the pool and had basically given up everything I had ever known and it, you had shown me the light and we had gone a different way and I had put in 110% of effort into the process and that's when raw diet came back because Kevin still even with that type of effort still had such an anxiety problem and you mentioned it again, and I remember thinking at the time, I have literally, I, and I, I, I can honestly say, I felt like I had given it 110% of what I had to give and had really, really tried hard to learn and to reshape my thinking and myself and the way I approached him and the way we approached life, and I had tried to embrace everything that you had taught me. And so when Raw Diet came back up again, I remember thinking, well, I, all right, I'm going to have to be open to this because I have had to have been open to all of these things, and I have learned so much. And so I decided to actually take that and kind of run with it. And what I did is in this country, you cannot find a lot of veterinarians that will support raw feeding, and so I went out of this country. And I talked to veterinarians in Australia where they do feed a lot of raw diets, and I talked to some of my mentors as veterinarians that I knew had um, come around and kind of embraced some of this, and I, and I started doing some networking, and I started really reaching out, and I started really doing some research that I could do so that I could wrap my veterinarian brain around, I can't recommend things that I truly felt would be harmful and so I had to do some research myself and when I did that research really came to the conclusion that you know this probably was actually the healthier way to eat for a dog their GI tract is different we, we should ask different things of it it is not set up like ours it is set up differently it is so uh, you know in going through that process um, I learned a lot about raw feeding and I remember we actually were sitting at a Chinese restaurant and I said <laughs> we were <laughs> we were and I said okay and you said what and I said yep I said because I don't do anything if I'm going to jump into the pool we are not a, I am not a pinky toe kind of girl no, you're and not. I am going to just jump in and jump into the deep end and I remember I said okay I'm going to hand you money when we get back to the clinic and I need you to buy a week's worth of food for Kevin and I will follow exactly what you tell me to do and one day Kevin ate kibble and the next day he ate raw and, and you saw an overnight change which is overnight. that doesn't even happen with you know as a veterinarian you always told people six weeks yeah. six weeks oh, on yeah. a new food to see any changes oh yeah overnight I have never seen anything I have never seen a change as great as raw food was with any drug that I've ever given. Yeah. I mean, that's how dramatic it was. And I think that in part, I don't expect that level of dramatic from every dog. I still tell people to expect a slow change. I think that the universe set it up so that Kevin would have that type of response so that a person <laughs> like me, yes. it was undeniable. Yeah. It needed there was to be. Nothing else that changed in 
that dog, other than one day he ate kibble, the next day he did not. There was nothing else, no drug on the planet, had I ever seen that dramatic a response with. And it was instantaneous. And the amazing thing is that his GI tract, I mean, he was a German shepherd, he is a German shepherd. It's one of those things where not, no German shepherd eat well, they all have GI problems. I mean, yep. every one of them from a veterinary standpoint. So I, I expect that as the normal. And all of a sudden, Kevin ate. And Kevin was interested in food. And Kevin wanted to eat. And Kevin had normal stool. And Kevin didn't vomit. And Kevin didn't miss meals. And Kevin didn't, you know, on and on and on. Kevin had a normal GI tract. And, and hand in hand with that, Kevin's anxiety improved a hundredfold. And it was so dramatic that it was undeniable. It wasn't something that I could walk away from because if I could bring that kind of improvement to my own dog, I had to recommend it for other people. You know, I had to talk to people whose animals were on a host of medications for all kinds of GI problems. And, and, and I had to talk about raw food. And I, and I still am to this day and will for the rest of my time as a veterinarian. Because I, I really, I'm not, I was not able to deny what a pivotal piece that really was for him. And mm-hmm. continues to be for him. Now, his GI tract now is healthy. So yes. can I introduce kibble to him periodically? I just was telling you about a puzzle toy that had kibble in it. So yes, I can and I do and he does great with it because his GI tract is healthy now. And so he can just like it, you know, as a human, you can go out on your chili cheese dog bender from time to time. <laughs> you know, you really can. Yeah. <laughs> if your GI tract is healthy, and it's the same thing for our dogs too. And it really did make a huge difference. And again, it was just another one of those pieces where you planted the seed, you let me resist, you quietly moved on and we focused on other things. And then when it was time to come back, you asked about it again. When I was in a place where I could hear you and listen. And that's honestly, you have a host of gifts to give in the dog training world and I've been lucky enough to be exposed to all of them but if there is one thing that I could say you could have handled your relationship with me much differently when I said pack leaders don't play that could have been the end of us <laughs> you know that could have been the end of us right and when I as a veterinarian said I can't feed raw and I can't recommend it your reactions to me on on a couple of different times could have played out much differently, but you didn't. You didn't approach it that way, and you didn't push. When I wasn't ready to hear something, you didn't say it again. When I was ready to hear it, you brought it back up. And that dance between the two of us and that gift that you have to be able to do that really, really made such a difference for me. It's made a difference for me with Kevin, for sure, but it's also made a difference in my life as a veterinarian, it's made a difference in how I approach dogs. It's made a difference in how I approach owners. It, it really has been pivotal in, um, in my growth yeah. as a person that deals with, again, P 
people that have dogs. Um, well, thank you for putting it like that. I really, I think I just try to take the same approach with people that I take with dogs. Sometimes they're not ready to do something. And if they're not ready to do something, pushing them is only going to hurt your progress. Um, I think helping, helping dogs and people get where you want them to get in kind of a roundabout way is sometimes best for everybody. Um, all right, Patty, let's wrap this up. I very much appreciate all of this, all of this great talking that you just did about Kevin. Um, is there any, you know, final point that you would like to put on this? You know, I've just been, I have been humbled by this experience and honestly have just had the best time. And so I really want to thank you because it's truly been something I can't even really explain to people. This has been so important to me. And like I said, Kevin is just a, a glowing example because he is, he's happy and he's fun and it's made such a difference in my life and like I said, how I approach my profession, how I approach the people, the clients that I work with, the patients that I have, it, it's how I approach every puppy that, that I get to see that hopefully I get to make a small difference in their, in their life. But um, that's, I guess, what I you know, want to end with, if anything, is to just say thank you. That really, whether you know it completely or not, I think on some level you do, obviously, that you see it and you see the progress that that Kevin has made and you've seen the progress that, you know, that, that other dogs that you've worked with have made. But hopefully you really get to see the progress in the human. Because it isn't just in my ability to deal with Kevin that you changed me, but you changed the person that I am. And, and I will always be grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patty. I actually do see that. And it's actually, I think working with the people is one of the most rewarding parts of it for me. I think any dog trainer who gets into dogs because they don't like people or don't communicate well with people um, will find themselves burning out, <laughs> getting a different job, moving on because... It really is actually all about people. Um, it's all about helping you make changes. I didn't really train Kevin much of anything. <laughs> I didn't really, you know, Kevin and, I, Kevin and I would work together a little bit and talk a little bit. But for the most part, you and all my other clients are doing the legwork. I'm just there kind of orchestrating it. So I really appreciate from you not being a pinky toe kind of girl and jumping completely in and <laughs> doing everything, everything that I asked you to do to the letter. Um, that's why you've seen the progress that you've seen. And I really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Patty. Thanks for being yeah. on the podcast. Um, of course, I hope everybody enjoyed Kevin's story. I think everybody will story. really, really enjoy this interview. So thank All you, right. Patty. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, you guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to Patty recount Kevin's story. I certainly did. Um, be sure to join us in a couple of weeks. We're going to start to talk about another one of my client dogs 
and that one is a surprise for you. So hopefully we will see you on the podcast soon. This is Cogdog Radio. If you have questions, you can shoot me an email at cogdogradio at gmail.com. Thanks, you guys.